Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, setting the standards for the cloud at GSA and dealing with the Navy's data deluge. It's Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Corey Zarek will be the next deputy administrator of the U.S. Digital Service. Zarek is former deputy chief technology officer of the United States. She's been at the Beak Center for Social Impact and Innovation at Georgetown University for three and a half years, including nearly two years as executive director. The National Archives officially has a new chief information officer. Sheena Burrell's been deputy CIO at NARA since 2019. She served at NASA and the Social Security Administration before that. Burrell's start date as CIO was August 1st. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The 2022 edition of Fed Talks is only about two weeks away now. The federal CIO Claire Martirana and the DOD CIO John Sherman are just two of the high-level leaders in government, industry, and academia that you'll see there August 24th. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can find the link to learn more and sign up in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The General Services Administration will build minimum security requirements into its Ascend Cloud Computing Blanket Purchase Agreement. The draft performance work statement says the requirements will, among other things, quote, ensure the integrity of customers' cloud solutions. Tim Cook is president and CEO of ASI Government. He's former senior economist at the Center for Naval Analysis. Tim, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. You flagged this for me as something that's really important to track. Are you telling me this is important specifically about Ascend or more broadly in the way that GSA and the federal government as a whole is approaching security in buying the cloud? Welcome, Tim. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Francis, and and I look forward to this time. Uh, So it's more the latter, I think. Uh, You know, obviously they're related, but um, I think we're finally starting to understand the importance of the cloud. Uh, the, the rest of the world, specifically the commercial world, this is the high performance engine. The cloud is the high performance engine that they run on. Um, and, and it's um, been extremely effective. It has its own economics. It's so different uh, from the world that we came from of big government owned data centers. Um, we've moved a long way down that path. We've now moved from cloud first to cloud smart. Uh, cloud smart is relatively new. Um, and I think that's the vision behind the BPA, uh, to be honest. The first element of cloud smart is security. Uh, if, you see, if you see that reference, uh, you understand why that's so important. Um, the other two are procurement and workforce, uh, pillars of, of cloud smart. So I think we can touch on all of those. Uh, obviously, the executive order on security is embedded in this BPA. Um, that's appropriate. My colleague Dave Nichpier writes, the Ascend BPA is part of GSA's cloud marketplace vision that it envisions agencies implementing their own cloud acquisition strategies. What does that mean to your comment from a moment ago about the fact that the cloud has its own economics? What does that mean agencies should be thinking about preparing for if they're building their own strategies, but buying through this marketplace? Yeah, so the cloud works differently. The market is largely dictated by the suppliers and it's a consumption based service. 
So you look at the catalog of services that are available uh, and they're priced, you know, by the minute um, and they vary all over the place uh, sort of on a daily basis. Uh, that requires just a totally different way of thinking than people are used to in the federal government. Uh, and contractually, it's challenging, right? Because, uh, and people have admired this uh, anti-deficiency clause, you know, where I can't commit to things that I can't pay for. Um, but, you know, I have to commend Laura Stanton uh, for really getting ahead of this because the agencies on their own won't do this, are very unlikely to do this in a way that's uh, mature uh, and repeatable. Well, I think shared services uh, advocates would argue agencies shouldn't do it on their own. Um, that, that, that's the whole point of establishing something like this so that agents, so that it is repeatable, so that, that everybody doesn't have to cook it up on their own, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's why I think Laura's doing something really important here with this, uh, with this BPA. The Ascend BPA has the potential to um, really help a lot of people in government across many different departments and agencies approach their cloud buying in a different way. The agency wants the Ascend BPA, Dave writes, to offer an open source experience. What does that look like from an acquisition perspective? Yeah, so the advantage of open source is that there's not a lot of IP at play, intellectual property, right? Open source means I'm not going to claim intellectual property as a vendor. Um, that's very advantageous to the government. Um, and, and I think that is something worth striving for. Uh, I also think that it is an on-ramp to not just high performance, but to an innovation pathway for the government. All right. You mentioned the three pillars of security procurement workforce. What's the procurement piece of this that maybe doesn't just apply to this particular BPA or doesn't just apply to purchasing cloud, Tim? What can uh, either organizations like GSA that, that provide government-wide resources or individual agencies take away, learn, uh, apply in the procurement space to other aspects and maybe not even just technology acquisition, maybe other types of acquisition too. Yeah, so the first point I'd like to make about that is that procurement is essential in this case. You only get cloud services from the commercial world. Uh, the, the vendors who provide it, you know, there's a sh short list of, you know, five or six or eight, you know, that you can get these services from. You have to use contracts to, uh, to access those services. It's non-trivial, by the way. Uh, I'll just say that, you know, there were some sessions at a recent conference. How should we really be buying cloud? You know, because it is largely decentralized right now and there isn't a place to go or a contract vehicle. And I'm not sure a contract vehicle is the essence of what Laura is doing, but it is a, a very strong uh, additional capability that agencies will need. Um, I remember I worked with Florence Casule at USDS last year to try to just help frontline contracting officers understand what they're buying and how the marketplace works. I'm a little discouraged, I guess I have to admit, that the, the cloud first policy came out, I think, in 2009 or 2010. And in 2022, we're still having conversations about how we should buy cloud. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who I'm mad at, Tim, but. It seems like we should be further along than this, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, so it certainly does. Uh, and, and, you know, I think we're going to get there in, in shorter order. 
Um, we've got a, a whole bunch of really smart people now thinking about it in the government, uh, including people at GSA like Laura and others, uh, and Francisco Sule at USDS. And, and there's a bunch of people who are pushing the envelope. We need to speed it up. As a government, the adoption of cloud has been far too slow. Part of the obstacle has been um, just the, uh, as I mentioned, the Anti-Deficiency Act. People have admired that problem like for years. Um, and, you know, Rich Butel can tell you all about, uh, you know, why that has been such an obstacle for people. Uh, they've now created some workarounds. Uh, I, I think that those workarounds are fine. And we'll see, you know, it's fundamentally commercial act is part, far part 12. It's buying commercial stuff that commercial companies buy as well. So why can't we buy it like they do? All right. The third uh, pillar is the workforce. And it strikes me the workforce being comfortable and confident that they can do this without getting themselves or their agencies into hot water, uh, according to what you just laid out there, you know, citing the FAR is probably the challenge there, right? Yeah. So, and I, and I believe there are leaders in government who are procurement leaders, uh, current and former, who believe that Part 12, the commercial acquisition uh, clauses, are the way to go. Um, because the, the providers are actually driving this marketplace uh, in a commercially oriented fashion. So it's a matter of adapting to that. Um, I, I will say that most of the, a lot of the benefit to cloud happens after the award of the contract. So once you're in a contract and you're managing uh, the procurement uh, sort of line by line, clin by clin, service by service, uh, there's there is not a lot of maturity in that process right now, either in government, frankly, or in the commercial world. Although they're they're far ahead in the commercial world, there's something called cloud FinOps uh, that's a best practice commercially. Uh, then there are some pilots going on in the government right now, which I've been uh, involved with. Cloud FinOps is that? Yeah. What, what is that? What does that mean? How does that work? Yeah, so it's financial operations, and it's really managing cloud spend during contract execution. This is typically done by contracting officers' representatives uh, as they manage a contract in flight. Um, uh, this is a strong uh, commercial practice. Uh, I've been, it's been my endeavor uh, working with Florence and others, also people at the foundation. There's a FinOps foundation, um, not-for-profit uh, and I think this is this is something I'm going to put some energy into to try to see if how far we can get uh, with people like Melvin Brown, who's the deputy CIO at, at OPM, who's mm -hmm. trying out. Um, what does this look like ultimately, either this Ascend BPA in particular, the cloud marketplace that GSA is building or more broadly, the overall cloud acquisition community what does it look like in your view when it's mature how do we know that it will be functioning well functioning efficiently tim yeah so so here's here's my opinion uh the the acquisition of artificial intelligence cybersecurity, um big data uh applications all of that stuff is going to go through the cloud when the government goes to market and it wants to buy artificial intelligence solutions it's going to buy those through the cloud. Um, they are available there in a way that they've never been available. There's no development. You're just simply renting 
you know, the data storage and the algorithm use that you need. Uh, you have to figure out what that is. But I think when mature cloud becomes a hub of modernization for federal IT, uh, and it all converges in that cloud offering, uh, it's really important for the government to understand that and to mature its practice. Tim Cook, great to see you as always, my friend. Thanks for coming on. I love it. Thank you. You can read more about the Ascend Cloud BPA in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, the Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology, Ann Newberger, and the Director of DISO, Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, are two of the headliners for Defense Talks. It's coming September 15th at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can see the rest of the lineup and sign up through the link in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. A Navy task force will lead efforts to evaluate how clean the service's data is. The goal is to make sure the service is ready for using that data in artificial intelligence and machine learning applications. Tom Sasale is the chief data officer of the Navy. On a video panel recently, he tells Scoop News Group's Wyatt Cash he breaks new technology problems down into different layers. Maybe traditional IT stack layer example is not so dissimilar to where we are today. So we talked a little bit about 5G, and that really is that core transport layer, right? And so, you know, one of the problems that the DoD faces, um, and Mitch mentioned interoperability, there's interoperability challenges throughout the entire stack. Right. And so people in, in many cases uh, maybe might want to misplace their energy a little bit saying, well, you know, we need true, we need data interoperability. Well, that's great, except, you know, for us in the DOD, in many cases, we can't even get the bits to flow, uh, whether that's between the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, right, or whether that's between us and DHS or us and the FBI or whatever, um, or our, our international partners, right? And so there's a fundamental transport issue where things like um, 5G might help address some of those issues with getting everyone on a network that is a little bit more carrier agnostic, right? Um, the next layer up, you do kind of have that data mesh problem, right? Which is getting once the bits start to flow, does does that resilience and survivability of the transport infrastructure support what you're trying to do? And then the you know the next layer up, at least from my perspective, is really where we're focusing a lot of our time in the CDO's office, right? Which really is that master data entity interoperability level problem. Uh, so when I send you a, a, a person object, for example, you understand what we mean by person and the the fields, the attributes of that person element are known and they're semantically interoperable with each other, right? And whether we call it first name or FN or something like this is really quite immaterial as long as we know semantically what that attribute means and what that element means. Um, and then once we achieve those levels of interoperability, they're all required and they all build on each other, right? Then we can get the more application level interoperability. And that's where the machine learning and artificial intelligence interoperability will start coming into play, right? Where uh, battle management aids and decision aids and, and computer-assisted decision-making um, from a military um, uh, warfighting perspective as well from a business operations perspective on our side, right, becomes important, right? And then we achieve some higher level of interoperability from an intellect perspective. And so um, I don't say any one technology fits, will solve the problem, certainly, right? 
So it's that integration that, that Mitch and Chris both talked about, right? Um, they got to be integrated both horizontally as well as vertically, right, uh, to, to pull all this together. Uh, and then you also have to realize, right, and you are in a very heterogeneous environment um, in, in modern IT. You don't have that luxury of being that kind of pure play anymore. The DOD 20 or 30 years ago was the number one consumer of IT. It just didn't exist anywhere else. So we could set the standard and we could drive uh, that interoperability by the fact that we are the number one consumer, we don't have that luxury anymore. Um, and I would say really none of the large companies or organizations actually have the luxury to set a standard and have everyone just simply adopt it, right? Uh, so it's a lot more collaborative in that regard. And so, uh, you know, I always say standards are a double-edged sword, right? <laughs> um, and that's, it's kind of where we are right now. And so a uh, lot of different places we can inject and certainly, you know, everything has been mentioned so far, all things that we're working on in different pieces. Uh, the challenge that we're facing right now, at least the senior leadership of the Department of the Navy, is really how do we stitch all those together to provide that mission outcome that, that, that Mitch mentioned, right? And, and how do we uh, answer the questions that commanders are asking and influencing the outcome that commanders need to be influenced um, in a positive way? And then my concern here is how do we test that we did influence the outcome, right? And determine whether or not that outcome was a positive or negative outcome, right? Um, and then how do we change our course of action further down the stream to get that outcome we're looking for? So. Tom Sasala, the chief data officer at the Navy, on a video panel with my Scoop News Group colleague, Wyatt Cash. Later in that conversation, Sasala explains the Navy's vision for data long term. Our view of a data fabric really is that centralized, and again, I use the word survivable and resilient um, infrastructure that allows us to send information around, right? Layered on top of that, and, and again, my perspective is a data mesh that provides a little bit more of that semantic interoperability at that data entity level. Uh, and then we can start working on the application. So I uh, completely agree with the kind of concepts and the foundations there. Uh, there still are challenges for us. Um, I try to, you know, try to avoid some of the buzzword bingo and just say, oh, just deploy a data fabric or a data mesh. It's, uh, you know, the uh, the architecture itself that both the fabric and the mesh propose are fundamental changes in the way that we approach IT, systems development, acquisition, contracting, and a variety of other things in the DoD, right? So, it's beyond a cultural change. It is a tectonic switch in how we want to acquire, build, design, and operate solutions. And so the days of one big system out there that can get adequately secured and have an authority to operate and we apply our cybersecurity to it and we, uh, you know, we create these central access points so we, you know, we can, we can watch the bits flow in the wire. Um, maybe those days are numbered in some regard, right? And I, and I think that they are, right? Because if you want to move... Uh, into more of a global fabric, right, where we can interchange and exchange information at various levels of interoperability, then how do you how do you sense, how do you probe, how do you instrument a fabric to know that there's that maybe you're the only one using the fabric or not, right? And so there's a lot of complications here in that technology. And it's definitely the way to go from our perspective. Uh, certainly, you know, the if you can want to consider just the, the benefits from security and the benefits from increased bandwidth and the benefits from the survivability of the new modern technologies you get over what we have today. Um, but not forgetting that we still need some backups, right? So the, the DOD is fond of this thing called a PACE or a PACE plan, right? Which is our primary alternate contingency and emergency plans, right? And so if your primary data mesh is not working, what is your alternate, right? If that doesn't work, what is your contingency plan? What is your emergency backup plan, right? Um, and so we need to gracefully degrade 
over time when you're operating in a contested environment that with a peer adversary or near peer adversary, right? And so a lot of these solutions that the internet is built on and the internet age companies are built on are simply not survivable because they're not operating in a contested environment. Um, they might be contested in terms of a competition, right? Uh, but you don't see companies actively trying to subvert or divert, uh, you know, the fundamental core of the internet, the cloud, you know, the cloud and whatnot um, against other companies. But you will see that in some sort of conflict, whether it's armed or unarmed in our case, right? So that non-kinetic uh, sort of portion of war fighting that is emerging is kind of that the larger of the threats right now. And so you saw this, you're seeing it actually in Ukraine right now, but you saw a lot of run up of it. Um, and some of the other activities were happening in the in in that kind of European block in some of the previous conflicts we had as well. And so those are great learning opportunities for us. Um, and so thinking of, uh, you know, if the internet were literally to go down, um, like people could not transact, what would happen to the US economy, right? Step back and look at really broadly, right? And so uh, we rely so much on the uh, networking and the exchange of information right, right now today, just to do basic things that 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, we didn't do, right? Um, like, I don't even think my bank has an actual physical location anymore, right? And just things like that. And like, I wouldn't be, like, I wouldn't get paid, right? I wouldn't be able to spend money, right? Because I don't have any cash, right? So it, 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 it's that kind of like, let's step back and say, like, how do we really gracefully degrade using some of these modern technologies um, and then have these companies like Dell and other companies, um, how does your solution support this kind of broader threat environment? So. Put yourself in the end user's shoes for a moment. How do you envision these emerging technologies helping agencies really move forward to operationalize their data to, to support employees working around the world and the public more effectively? Sure, absolutely. So I, I think the, the the number one benefit here from our constituency, whether that's a direct warfighter or whether that's the, the the sort of generating force that supports the warfighter as well as the, the general populace of the United States, right, is really just accessibility and availability, right? It seems relatively mundane to say it that way, but what, what I'm trying to say is our services that we provide will be more accessible and more available to more people in a more timely manner because of these new modern technologies, right? And so um, hopefully we will get more efficient and more effective at providing them as well, which will either increase our time or decrease our time to market um, or decrease the total cost of operations, which is code for saving taxpayers money, right? And then being able to maybe reinvest that in things that we're not doing today. So there's a lot of um, you know primary, secondary, and tertiary sort of benefits from these technologies far more than I can possibly uh, you know kind of run through right now. Tom Sasala, the Chief Data Officer of the Navy, on a video panel with my Scoop News Group colleague, Wyatt Cash. You can find a link to watch the video of the entire conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like The Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast, back tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.